the simplicity of sales still doesn't change. It's just a matter of us delivering that idea. And I feel that so often because so many experts that are out there with their processes, they feel that some people, they have that it needs to be tweaked. It needs to be adjusted. This is the new way of doing it. This is a new era. Oh yeah, baby. And it's like, but when you go back into it, it's like, wait a minute. Are you really saying tomato when I'm saying tomato? Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Donald Kelly. I mean, as you know, Donald is the founder and chief evangelist for his company called The Sales Evangelist and host of a very long-running podcast called The Sales Evangelist Podcast. And in our conversation, Donald and I talk about the main takeaways he's learned from the Gosh, <laughs> he's done more episodes than I've done. Over 1,300 episodes he's done on his program. And so, again, talk about some of the main takeaways, including some of the biggest surprises he's picked up about sales and selling. Some of the biggest misconceptions sales experts still have about selling. And what's working and what isn't working these days. And we also dive into Donald's opinions, based on all the conversations he's had, about the three things that most need changing in sales. So we get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Donald, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing by leaving us a review. We'd really appreciate that. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Donald, welcome back to the show. Andy, thank you so much for having me on the show. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it, it's been forever. It's been a while. It has been a while. I think uh, it was right after we met back in well, 2016. Something um, we, like that. Somewhere so around you, there. 2017, we connected on the podcast on your show. Probably 16. You were 16. episode 193. Woo! And, Woo! Yeah. Now, Man. I was going to say, uh, you know, I've done a fair number of podcasts myself, but nothing like you. If I've done a gazillion <laughs> podcasts, then you've done about... One and a half gazillion podcasts. <laughs> Done a fair amount. <laughs> right. So I think we're, you know, we're, I don't know, as we record this, we're about 1,020, you're up to 1,300 something? We uh, probably, uh, when we just had you on our show recently, I think we were probably like around the 16. 16. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. 1,600 there. So it's, I'm it's such been cooking a with some hot chicken grease. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did drag my feet there for a while, so. <laughs> wow, that is that is that's incredible. Yeah, you learn a lot with it. Yeah, you learn so much from the from podcasting. You know, one somebody asked me the other day, "Is like, do you think more salespeople would podcast?" And I was like, "I think it's a great idea. I don't think many are going to do it because it's going to take work." In the sense, like if you do it as a, I did it as a hobbyist, it was just something mm. that I enjoyed, but it improved my communication skills. And it also naturally, there's opportunities came from it where I was able to connect with buyers early on. And mm -hmm. then as I really rec realized a strategy, I was able to really do business with the podcast. And I mean, there are many different benefits, but I think the, the, the selfish side, personal development, I've grown <laughs> so much from my personal being coached by having folks like you on my show or, you know, like the, some of the, the Anthony and Arenos, Joe Conrath, people in the industry that are, have some years of experience, some miles I've been able to learn from. And also just the, the simple fact that it's just my personal communication skills to be able to ask better questions that help mm -hmm. me in my, my interaction with my clients. So anyways, it, it's, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. I have to admit, I'm always a bit shocked when I go on, some other podcasts and, and their sales podcasts and the hosts aren't very good interviewers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe there's, Hey, here's the same, same 10 questions we always ask and so on. And, yeah. and I just project and say, okay, well, Hmm. Bet you this is a problem in, in your selling as well, because you've got <laughs> these 10 questions, and aren't you curious about anything else? Yeah. I think there's you, one, of, one thing I've learned, people always said, like, Barbara Walters and, you know, some of these people are really good interviewers. I'm like, let's make them good interviewers. But it wasn't until after a podcast going back and trying to be a student of the game 
and watching some of these old interviews and watching some of these people, you see why, because their ability to be able to ask and to probe, which again, naturally helped in my selling experience over the years while I was doing Karen Quota and doing the podcast. So, well, so let's, let's dig into that a little bit. So as, as an interviewer and thus as a questioner, what, what have you learned from, from all the 1600 (laughs) interviews you've done uh, or most of those are interview shows, right? Some you yeah. do your solo, I know. But so what are the big takeaways for you for in terms of this ability to demonstrate interest in other people and, and to have a conversation that's, that's both entertaining and educational? The first time I did the podcast, I would send out I, – I was – and I think there's, there's, some, there's some advantage to this. I would send out questions, but the questions – that I sent out, I spent time on. And then therefore I wanted to make sure that we had to go through those questions in the conversation. Mm-hmm. It didn't leave much room for, as you describe it, curiosity. Um, it didn't leave much room for to dive deeper because if I probe further on why you did that question, it's going to inhibit me from getting down to question number eight, which I really want to ask you. Mm-hmm. It was about me rather than where the prospects are. So that's one of the first things that I learned. You need to come prepared. You need to come with understanding. You need to have flexibility for curiosity. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's, that's one thing that I've learned over the years with, uh, with doing it. Another piece that I've learned when it comes towards having conversation, and it's something that I teach my hosts, because we have a, a couple of shows that we host, and one of them we have a, a host for. Mm-hmm. And in a training that I give them is, think about it like Donald Miller talks about with the story loop. And mm-hmm. if I'm if I say something like you know yesterday I had an amazing dinner, it doesn't doesn't say oh great awesome glad you had a dinner Donald and move on. What's the what what's what opens up what curiosity loop or the story loop opens up right now? Well, first off, I want to know well what did you have for dinner right. and what did you cook? Did you cook it or did you order? Are you going out now or are you staying mm-hmm. in the house getting some of the food? Um, you know, you said it was Jamaican food. Are you a good Jamaican cook? Do you have a Jamaican background? Like stuff like that leads to that that di- that dialogue, which is able to help my listeners. Because I think about it in a sense like if I'm listening to a podcast, I have, I'm a student of podcasts as well, so I listen to a lot of shows. If I am listening to a host ask questions and I'm telling the host, hey, ask him this, ask him this in my head. I think about that when I'm doing an interview. Right. As someone driving to the grocery store thinking, Donald, ask him this. Ask him why that is. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, but I think that this is <laughs> there's a lot of lessons to be learned in that, right? And sure. yeah. Because I think I think yeah, I think it's just a basic sort of sales sales lesson right? which for sellers to learn is is that it's okay to follow down those paths that open up that perhaps don't seem germane, mm-hmm. but you never know. Yeah. And, and if you're going to get too linear and stick too much to the script, then I think you lose the opportunity to a form a connection at a different level with the buyer, but also learn something about them that, that perhaps no one else knows that could be critical. Yeah. You know, going back to with that that notion too, someone taught me before with podcasting, I think it was at one of the conferences, like, think about this, Donald, if you're doing your show, and you know, you're asking the same questions, if I go and listen to you do an interview with Mike, and you interview with Lisa, and I come back and take the same questions that those people ask, my audience, some of them more likely are listening to these other podcasts as well. And did they get anything unique from my show? at all mm-hmm. that you didn't say on the other ones. And in some cases we want to look to ways, look for ways how we can do that. And, and when you ask those, those natural questions, when you can go a little deeper with your personal curiosity, it kind of helps with that in, uh, in many of the interviews that we had. We, I just did a, the one with Seth Godin recently mm-hmm. and I, it was, it was, it was nerve wracking in my mind because I'm thinking <laughs> of Seth. I don't want to mess up with Seth. Like, come on, it's freaking Seth Godin. And then, in that, though, like I recognize some things that Seth may not necessarily talk about that people will – because he's not necessarily he, – he has a lot of sales experience that people don't necessarily realize. But it's not like um, – it's not like that's his main sh- thing. Is, is right. He doesn't go – he's a marketing guy per right. se where he's seen that. 
So on our podcast, we were able to bring the, the sales side out of Seth and had a good conversation with that. And it was pretty neat to hear him talk like on those terms because he did do sales and he did educate in sales. And it was pretty interesting to, to get that type of story that he doesn't typically get on the show. So it made it unique in that sense. Yeah, and I think that another part I'd bring up, because I'm sure you do this, and I'm sure it's part of your conversation with Seth, is that, and it applies directly to sales, mm-hmm. is advice I got early on when I was, was doing the podcast. Because, yeah, I mean, you since it's something that's sort of brand new, you carry into it this perception about how you need to act and, and how you need to be and so on. And mine was initially was, well, this is, this is all about the guest. Yeah. And someone told me, I said, well, actually, no, it's all about you. (laughs) Is that you need to bring yourself to these interviews, more of yourself to these interviews. And the same thing is is true, which was absolutely true because the audience builds a relationship with you, Donald and, and so on in the host. But, but it's also true in sales as well as when you're building your connection with the buyer, you have to bring yourself to it, right? You just can't read the questions on the page, your personality and what you bring to the conversation with the buyers. Absolutely essential. Yeah. Oh, so, so, so true. It's, uh, it's like um, the, I like to look at them is as if this, cause I made a mistake on this part as well. Like, even though I'm creating content for a listener, I was, and it started from my speaking days when I first started doing Toastmasters way back. Mm-hmm. I thought, and, and even go way back before that debate, you're programmed to deliver the content based on the what the audience or judges or what they want to see. And in some ways, I was thinking a podcast like that, but podcasts realize it's like a reality TV, like they really, like you said, they really want to see you. Mm-hmm. And if I could make it, the episode sounds like a phone call between me and you, and it just so happened as somebody's eavesdropping, then that becomes more entertaining and becomes more attractive to the audience because they are like, man, Donald's having a good dialogue there with Andy. And it's like, they're getting personal. They're talking about stuff. And it's like, cool. Should I be listening to this? If we can get <laughs> to that point, then you know that that you it's a great episode in my book. So. Well, I think it's the same thing true when you're having a, a conversation with the buyers is if it feels like it's following a talk track, yeah, then it's going to be inherently less interesting to the buyer yeah. than if it's a conversation, an actual oh. conversation where you don't really know where it's going to go. And that's okay. I mean, yeah. you have a, you have a goal in mind and something you want to accomplish. You do want to help the buyer make, you know, make some progress as a result of the call and you want to make sure it's a good use of their time. But Getting from point A to point B is not necessarily just uh, the shortest point, the shortest line, excuse me. Um, yeah. So, well, so again, you've done all these interviews. And <laughs> so I can ask you a question. Actually, I get asked a lot and you probably do as well. But I'm curious because, again, 1,600 episodes is very, very impressive. Is So from everything you've, all the interviews you've done, let's start. Biggest surprises for you about sales and selling. The biggest surprise for me about sales and selling over all that period of time is I was the principles doesn't change. The, the principles just don't change. Like mm-hmm. from the the greats, when I'm sitting there with them, I go with my book and I'm just getting ready to get this information. Like, yeah, buddy. Like after you heard like, you know, three, four people, you're like, hold on. Like I thought there was gonna be more complexity behind the way that you sell. But in actuality, the most successful people, they've always just seemed to be just whatever their process is, it's very simple. Like mm-hmm. it is very, it's, it's not as difficult. It's not complicated. And it reinforces something that I learned early on. Like, like if you're going to be successful in sales, when, I, when sales became really, I wouldn't say sales isn't complex because you and I both sell some complex deals mm-hmm. and complex situation. It's There's complexity, but there's a difference between complexity and difficulty, I would say. Like there is, you can under, I think it's Emerson that once said, uh, um, that which we persistently do become easier, not that the nature of the thing changes, but our ability to do it changes. So mm-hmm. yes, it mm-hmm. could be complex, but our nature of doing it is better because we have understood the path to follow. And right. when I work with and interview and connect with some of these experts, 
some of the greats, the, all their, their ideas or their motions have been very simple. It wasn't like this huge complex like diagram going into, you know, just this, you know, understanding so many technical stuff and going through all this, this loop. It was they follow a basic idea of understanding buyers' problems, uh, making sure that they can bring value to the table. Um, and based on buyer's understanding or, you know, like we talked about in our episode, like perception and being able to offer the solution. The more you can understand the buyer's situation, the more you can know about them, the more you can educate yourself about their industry and understand the problems before they become problems. I think in the book, The Three Value Conversation, they talked about it as the unconsidered need. Like the more you can understand those things, it makes it so much more easier for you to be able to help identify problems and be great at problem finding, which naturally leads to offering awesome solutions because buyers think it's awesome because you know that problem. And and so many of the greats, they have something similar to that notion where it's very simple and it's mm-hmm. not complex. And I was, I can tell you that I would, when I first started, when I first interviewed, the first big person I interviewed, I'm not in size, but was Gittimer. And mm-hmm. it was cool to hear, you know, chat with Gittimer. And then as I started talking with more people, I started Jill, Gon- Jill Conrath, I remember her, and then Jeb. And some of these other folks, I started realizing, like, again, it's just not that complicated. Why did I think it was their stuff was going to be more difficult? Am I making sense there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my first boss always sort of said is, yeah, selling is simple. Yeah. Not easy, but it is simple. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's always sort of been a watchword is, is for me is, of course. Yeah, it's really not, I don't say it's not hard, not difficult to understand. It It's pretty simple, as you described yeah. Listen, understand yeah. what's most important to the other person, help them get it. Um, that's not always the easiest thing to get accomplished, but, but keeping it simple is always better. Yeah. So it's sort of follow-up question that then is, sure. is not, you have to name any names here, but in your opinion, so the biggest misconceptions that you believe a lot of sales experts still have about selling. Mm-hmm. So you talk to all these sales experts obviously can't think they're all right. So <laughs> what, what, uh, what do you think people get wrong still in your opinion? I think people get wrong that, and I got this wrong. So, and I had to come back to, you know, some self-reflection on it, that sales change. And once you, and what I'm, let me go back to that. that sure. Sales from the dawn of time, the simple idea that we talked about, doesn't change like you know caveman a caveman b you got this you have berries i have rock i give rock you give me berry like mm-hmm. there's that idea of exchange doesn't change but there is a level of how we go about doing it may differ so like now maybe we're not doing more in person we're going to do more remote still yet the 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 play or i'm sorry the 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 notion of selling the simplicity of sales still doesn't change it's just a matter of us delivering that idea. And I feel that so often because so many people have this, so many experts that are out there with their, their, their processes, they feel that it needs to, and not everybody, but I feel that some people, they have that it needs to be tweaked. It needs to be adjusted. This is the new way of doing it. This is a new era. Oh yeah, baby. And it's like, (laughs) but when you go back into it, and you read it or you study their stuff, it's like, wait a minute. It's not – you're trying to change this. But are you really saying tomato when I'm saying tomato? Mm-hmm. And I think that that idea uh, has – that if we can all agree on that, say the base is there and go back to you and I had this conversation. Like the way we go about doing it or your methodology may be different, but that's one big piece that I can I, – I see. And I have one reason why, because every time we do a, like a, you know, a, a, someone, a PR company reach out to us about getting their folks on a show, right. I do a, an effort to get them to send me a book. Mm-hmm. And as I review the books, again, I go with that same idea, like this is this new method, but the method is, is their methodology may be different. But again, the, the concept, the concept of sales has still not been convinced that, the, that you change the way that what selling is. And, uh, and I feel that's one thing that people get wrong every time there's like this new, this new, the newest fad that's out there. Um, I don't know if I make sense with that, Andy. No, I, you do. And I, I, I agree. I mean, I think that, that there's a temptation among certain cohort of people to think, okay, selling's different now. We just had a revolution and it's different. And it's like, 
Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> it's still the same. I mean, yeah, we may be using technology in ways that we didn't use technology before, but to your point is at heart, it's still the same thing. And I think that, that the effort to make it seem more than it is isn't helping people. You know, I give you an example is, is I don't know if you do um, follow modern sales pros, uh, you know, the listserv and the community and they have all these ongoing discussion threads and so on. But I remember speaking in front of a group and, and I pulled a screenshot of like the latest 25 or 30 discussion threads that were in the, in modern sales pros that, and put up for the audience to see. I said, so what's, this is modern sales pros. What's missing. Mm. And what was missing is not one of those discussion threads was about a customer. It's They're all, all about the buyer, the seller, the tech, yeah. the tech stack, the process, comp plans, you know, things like that, that granted you have to pay attention to that as part of sales, but it doesn't constitute making it modern. Yeah. Right. And so I think that, that, yeah, there's a desire to want them. And I, this is one of the things I obviously experience people I talk to on the show as well as this desire to try to, Say, well, it's, yeah, the people are along for the ride, but it's more about process. It's more about technology. It's more about, you know, the way we do things now. And it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's still measured in, in my mind, what percentage of your most qualified opportunities did you win? Yeah. And, yeah, in some industries, it's the win rates. Hey, they're in the 20% range. And I'm, to me, it's like, well, that's, that's bad <laughs> by any measure. That's just bad. Yeah. Yeah. If you can only win one out of four, or one out of five, if you're your most qualified opportunities, Something it's just right. problematic. It's problematic. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's something that to me is, yeah, I think something that still, people still get wrong. It really depends what segment of sort of quote unquote sales experts you're talking to. Yeah, some some people think that's fine. Others are horrified by it. Yeah, and, I, and I think you you find this 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 notion too, Andy. Like I went through this where in if you look back when I first started podcast in 2013, it was we were really rampant and going to this era of the inbound, um, mm-hmm. and you can see that there are certain you know obviously there are certain major players that were behind that. And we just at least and let's speak in, I won't speak in generality, but in in my experience and myself, I was thinking, oh man, well, dang it, outbound seemed like it's gonna die. Like it's not going to work. Fast forward, like, you know, years later, those major companies were the ones that pushing this idea of inbound were the ones that have some of the most robust outbound team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, wait yes. a minute, something ain't right here. <laughs> So that's what I'm saying. You, you, you see these, like, guess, like trends, and you're like, this is the new way. When in actuality, we always go back to like the, it's, you know, almost like fashion. You go back <laughs> to the stuff that's worked before because it's the, the principles of sales will never, ever change. The, you know, you might have different ideas. And I remember, I remember vividly thinking, like, some of these people who are pushing like this, you know, like cold call, you know, big cold call folks, I'm like, well, they're done for. And and it's not that cold call. There's a different way of mm-hmm. of the method of how sure. you can still effectively do a, a cold outreach. There's ways that you can quote unquote warm them up, warm that up. And I think those this we add on and to become more effective at the principle of selling. But the every so often you find this new trend that comes, and that's the new way. This is a new dogma, a new doctrine. And if you're not doing this, you're such a close minded, old school seller. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> You're a boomer. <laughs> hey, easy now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I uh, it was easy. They went through a period where people were, again, were holding up this badge of quote-unquote modern sales team as an example. And, I, yeah, of how things had changed and this is the way to do it. And, again, I'm looking at it and thinking, okay, these modern sales teams, at the end of the day, you're operating win rates in the 20 25% range. That's not modern. No, I mean it's if unless you consider usually modern is used as sort of a way to describe something that's new and improved and advanced. Yeah, and 
if we're reverting to win rates at that point to that level, then yeah, that is the opposite of modern. Um, yeah. And I think it's one of the things that we sort of have to reconcile in sales is that, that there's varying perspectives on what constitutes acceptable levels of performance. And mm. I think it's problematic for a lot of sellers because if you're in an environment where working in a sales environment where, you know, the 20, 20 to 25% win rate is acceptable, eventually it has to wear on you, right? It doesn't, doesn't have to wear on you if you're only winning one out of every four deals. I mean, of course. I, I think of my own experience. If that had been my experience, I probably would have been out of sales. Yeah. I mean, first of all, they probably would have shown me the door in the company as I had if I was only if that was my if that was my win rate. But just from a confidence standpoint, how can you feel confident that you know what you're doing if the thing that you're practicing most is losing? Yeah, I would. I, I would. I can definitely see it, uh, individuals jumping ship at that point um, and going with other industries because there's so many other industries that were that obviously a little bit more lucrative and you, you know, you have friends that are in sales and me selling a different product, but they're like, man, this is what we're doing. <laughs> I would definitely want to go to that door, leave the door, <laughs> mm-hmm. go through the door and go over there. Let's go to that other pasture because clearly something ain't working here. So, yeah, I think this is one of the things that's, that's going to get more attention is actual levels of performance right is is what's acceptable what's not what what constitutes uh a winning habit as opposed to a losing habit hmm. and i think more and more sellers are going to say look yeah i want to be in a situation where i've got this winning habit yeah because it it also speaks to productivity right is is if you're i define productivity in sales as as uh, revenue generated per hour of selling time Classic definition of of productivity, you know, rate of output per unit per unit of input. So in this case, the input is sales time, mm-hmm. and the output is revenue. Well, if you operate such low win rates, then what's saying is you're taking time that could be productive and devoting it to unproductive activities. And I see it in some, yeah, it's it's more of like a if. Go back to go back to what you said. I in my if I look at that, I am feeling like I don't want to make it sound so dramatic, but I feel like a loser. Then if I spend that's like, again, you said the, the thing that I am called to do that I've been doing for years and I'm performing so poorly, I just would think as a human being, like, man, what is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would. It would. It would affect my mental health, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think this is this perhaps not coincidental that yeah. you know, surveys from Uncrushed and others are showing that what fully uh, two thirds to three quarters of sellers are struggling yeah. with some issue about this. And I, I don't know, doesn't I don't think it takes it's not a big leap to start drawing and connecting the dots to say you put people into positions where it's deemed acceptable to lose substantially more than you win. Yeah. I mean, no one likes to lose, right? You're in this business to succeed. I'm competitive. Um, I compete against myself though. (laughs) Well, but that's a big part of sales, right? Is is competing against yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't like to focus on competitors as much as just things I can control. Yeah. So, and I think that unfortunately some of these behaviors are sort of, these these outcomes, these win rates yeah. are sort of forced on sellers based on the processes they're in. Yeah. You know, if they're forced to carry a huge pipeline coverage, you know, 5X pipeline coverage, uh, you can't satisfactorily work all those accounts. Yeah. And expect to have an acceptable win rate. Is that a result of... Going back to this this idea, is is that more so you would think on the numbers game approach because I may not be good mm-hmm. as my job. So if, since I'm not good as my job, my manager is like, bro, just instead of trying to do five, just throw 15 balls over there. Hopefully one of them will, three of them will land in the hole. <laughs> That's sort of the way a lot of a uh, good chunk of the tech world's operating these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's an easier way, quote unquote, to to get the job done. But in in 
in hindsight. And I think there's, I, I get it. I understand like, you know, you know, investors have stuff, you have VCs want to get, you know, output. what's the quickest way there's, there's gotta be a, you know, a good happy medium to gotta understand that there's something is going to diminish once you do so much in, you know, so much of the, the cookie cutter stuff, the, the volume, it's not going to be conducive to real growth. And I think it's, we're going to come upon a, a good, a good hard stop there eventually where we're going to realize it got to be a more effective way of doing it um, because that the method is not going to, the buyer is going to catch on to it. The way I look at it, some of these plays too is, and I've seen it and I've, I've done some, uh, some, I didn't done my fair share of rant on this as well, rant Andy. That really, <laughs> it's like you, you find like I think of it like um, flag football because I play that with my buddies, and and a lot of times in the and when we're playing flag football, we're recognizing that the the teams running plays that we know, and they were like, I know what they're going to do next. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In some ways, the buyers and the sellers these days are the salespeople are running these plays that are like, this is the most unique play we're going to do. When the buyer is like, I know exactly what you're doing because I get it. When I see the emails come, I'm like, here we go. They're getting mm-hmm. wind up for the, the mm-hmm. closed uh, close call uh, email. Right. Ah, there we go. There's the close call email. And it's not because I you know, educate on in, 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 in the industry. It's just all the emails are similar like that. So if I'm programming my buyer, so this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. It becomes that predictable way. And I know how to predictably avoid you as opposed to like uh, building really good, like really good, uh, like uh, connections like you talk about or really good interaction with people. Um, and if you build those really good interaction, your prospect and kind of goes back to my philosophy, like, you know, the, the book that I worked on is called sell it like a mango. And it's that same notion. Mm-hmm. Like I saw so many people in Jamaica when I grew up selling the same exact stuff, like whether it's a person selling peanuts or a person selling mangoes or a person selling oil, like they would sell the same products, same trinkets, but mm-hmm. how come one stall or one street cart vendor was so much more successful than the other person. And as you evaluate and see what some of these people do, you can quickly understand over time why that person succeeds over the other with the same exact product. And it was because not because they run the same exact play. They, they learned to zig when everybody else is zagging. They, they learn how to do things that were uh, more um, connecting with you, uh, right. so to speak. Um, and you, you see them sometimes on a street, like singing or doing. They 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 know how to to attract people towards their booth rather than just running the same exact play. And I think that's what happened a lot of times. You're two kung fu masters doing the same exact thing. The buyer's doing this. The salesperson is doing this because right. the buyer's team has the buyer's company has a sales team as well. So they're running the same place. You got to figure out a way to come unique and come different. Yeah, and I think that that and I hope that this doesn't happen but you know it's been for many there are high growth companies that are sort of relying on you know selling by numbers as opposed to selling by selling yeah it's it's been you know 14 years of sort of uninterrupted economic growth yeah honestly real high growth uh, from an economic standpoint of the economy but in general for for many mm-hmm so what happens when that changes? <laughs> and and you actually have to go sell, right? Because we had a contraction in the economy, which again, odds are it's going to happen at some point. And I said, I'm not hoping for it, but it is. I think the companies that have focused more on, yeah, how are we actually selling, right? How, yeah. are, we, how are we able to go out and provide across our sales team, a compelling vision of what we can do for a buyer so that our win rates as an organization are substantially higher than they are now. Then we have the confidence that we know that when things get a little bit tough, we actually know how to sell because we've done this. We have confidence that we can go still win a majority of our most qualified opportunities when things get tough as well as when things are are really good. Yeah. Oh, I think, uh, I think you're going to be right. One of the things Jeb's talking about, um, his latest book came out and he's talking about this idea of the, the price increase. You know, we've, m- many of us have never gone through who are selling like the eighties inflation. <laughs> we've been mm-hmm. in such a, 
a good a good run uh, for it. So it's like you know, how do you go about having that type of dialogue, or you know, how do you go about selling when you know everything is the same as the last year, but it's just the price is different this year? Um, and then what you're saying, like you know, economic downturns, like how, what's gonna how, how are you gonna be more effective? And those in those uh, those you know throw as much um, spaghetti at the wall, and some of them are gonna. F- stick it's i feel that i call that like uh um i don't want to say like fake but it's like the i guess almost like imposter seller in a sense because you can get by as a seller but you can't you're not going to be able to thrive in the difficulty as a seller yeah well unless you've practiced winning this is the point i keep going back to it i know people think it's a broken record but no it's true not if you're not as a seller if you are not winning more of your qualified opportunities than you're losing, right? (laughs) Then when things get difficult, as they invariably will, you're in a a disadvantage against those sellers who know how to win because they they practice it. I mean, yeah, yeah, I was able, when things were a little bit easier, we'll say today's sort of the easy times, (laughs) uh, easier, yeah, I was able to consistently have a win rate those 50% or above. And that puts you at a time when most competitors are not. And then when time gets tough, what do you know how to do? Well, you know how to make the case. You know how to help the buyer get to that point to make that decision. to think, yeah, I want to go with Donald. Yeah. And that I've, well, unfortunately I've lived through and worked through several recessions and major economic dislocations. That was the difference for many, many companies is yeah, they knew how to sell. Yeah. So when you're fighting over fewer customers and fewer customer dollars for some period of time, they have the advantage. Oh, so true. Love it. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but (laughs) I mean, I, again, I lived through those early inflation seventies and eighties uh, where, yeah, for we're selling capital equipment and Jeez. interest rates were in the high teens. That's ridiculous. It's crazy. So you had to be able to justify for, for customers. You had to be able to work with them to put together a business case that could justify that at those interest rates. Yeek. I can't imagine yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> thinking about looking away, like in my era, how you know a percentage uh, the the you know the the interest rates have been. It's like they're giving away money half the time. <laughs> well, the mortgage on my first the first house I ever bought was thirteen and a half percent. That's nuts. That's not real. <laughs> yeah, think about that. Thirteen and a half percent. Working for a startup and. Six months later, the startup went bust. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, holy crap, I need a mortgage. I need to pay this mortgage. <laughs> yeah, that really big mortgage compared to, yeah. to the income my wife and I at the time were making. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, I think if we get into that type of, again, that's another example. If you get into a high interest yeah. rate environment, you have to be able to sell. You just can't say, look, let's put a bunch of shit in the top of the funnel. And, and <laughs> if we, you know, if four out of, you know, 20% of them fall out as wins. That's great. Right. You're not going to play the odds the same way. You're actually going to have to sell. And this is a point I've been making for years is that the companies that invest in learning how to actually sell right now are going to thrive more predictably. And I'm talking most about, you know, small and mid-sized. I'm not talking about established multi-billion dollar companies necessarily, though they too can have some problems. Yeah. I was just talking to a friend of mine who's a, Consultant for global sales organizations and was talking about his latest client um, or one of his latest clients in Europe, that big, big organization, multinational win rate across the board was 17%. You're kidding me. And one of the things that, yeah, they did is, is uh, yeah, he was able to work with them to elevate that relatively quickly to a, a higher trend, let's say, trending higher. Yeah. And yeah, it makes a world of difference. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, this all around, I can only imagine morale and everything goes. Well, that's right. Sellers don't churn as much. Uh, (laughs) What you find is you're not adding as much headcount because the the productivity of each individual as measured by how much revenue they're generating per hour of selling time is going up. Yeah. 
By the way, I really like that definition. I need to borrow that. So go ahead. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what you want. Yeah. You want to be able to say, okay, our first step in trying to grow is it to add, you know, if I've got a sales team of 10 people, am I going to grow first by adding three people or can I find a way to increase each individual's productivity? And for me, my experience with a number of startups, the quickest and easiest path was to increase them, the productivity of each individual. Yeah. I mean, on, on so many different ways, like even like with, uh, I remember when, like, I just don't find many people who just say, I want to, my goal is to be able to ramp more people. Like that ramp time is, is brutal <laughs> uh, where you're not making too much money off of the, that person. I mean, keep the ones that you have that are doing well. Just make sure they do it better. Um, and to go back to the same notion when it comes towards customers, it is so much cheaper to sell to existing customer than it is to brand new because of the the, the churn. I mean, that 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 ramp, that, that mm-hmm. window. But it's obviously it's a, it's necessary evil. But if it comes to my team members, though, of course, I'd much rather keep somebody and help them sell better than to go hire three more. Um, because it sucks. <laughs> it, it's the fast path, the fast path to growth. Yes, I, yeah. I agree. And if we had more time, I'd get into chapter sure. and verse about that because it's it's uh, <laughs> multiple examples of companies that that I led sales teams with that. Yeah, we grew much yeah. faster, taking what we had on hand, assuming they just weren't complete misfit for the the situation that we had. But yeah. in most cases, they weren't. It was just like just need help to get on the right yeah. path. So. All right, Donald, you've sure. got a book coming out. You, you called it Sell It Like a Mango. Mm-hmm. So when's, when's your book coming out? And um, we know it's about differentiation. Anything else, big message from the book? Yeah, May 16th when it launches. Um, Excellent. And the, for, for me, the, like, the, the biggest thing that I took from it, um, Andy, is like, and then doing it because I was trying to always, I was trying to figure out what's the next, what's, what's a book going to be? What's my first book going to be all about? And, you know, you, you think it's going to be something like major and like, you know, super profound. But when I worked with my coach again, similar to like what that, those podcast interview, like what made, what is it that's uniquely you, Donald? And how do you go about mm-hmm. selling? And mm-hmm. as I went back and look at the, this notion and, you know, I'll tell you the story again with those, those folks selling in Jamaica, the same principle I saw when I came to B2B selling, like I, I remember when I was selling like my document management software or people on my team, like what was making some of my team members selling the same exact product I'm selling? Why were there some of them so much more effective? As you break down the formula, there it's, I mean, some of the basic things are widely there. First, in the book, I address like the misconceptions of sales. Like I felt that you had to be born with it, like Maybelline, right? You have to be a born <laughs> seller, <laughs> Some sellers are born with it, right? You, you got to be gift of gab. Um, you you have to look a certain way. Um, is one of these other misconceptions right. that I, I thought that you, you know, and some of those things just make it make you feel inferior in the first place. Um, the idea of uh, I'll go back to the movie Boiler Room. We talk about that mm-hmm. in the book. Like the Boiler Room mentality was that I had to trick buyers into doing certain things, and right. that wasn't one of those just notions. And then, yeah. And one of the other misconceptions that we that I felt that was just widely there, is, I mean, we still see it there, is this notion of like I know, like I know more than the buyer, and we've seen this over the years. Like the buyers know tremendously a lot; they're intelligent people. It's a matter of me being able to having a good discussion and be able to educate maybe on things that they probably don't understand in particular about it that I right. know because of, uh, as a consultant. Um, and uh, those, that's the old school idea of selling was, were, you know, four or five misconceptions we address up front um, in chapter one. In chapter two, we then went into this notion of like some of the things that I saw when I first sold, the reason why we even went with this idea of mango because I thought it was something easy to sell. We had a mango tree in our front yard, Andy, in Jamaica, and I wanted to make some money. And there's this the in, in Jamaica, people have these uh, call like a little shop at their house or mm-hmm. like tienda 
where you know it's your neighborhood convenience store, and right. the people across the street from us had a bigger one, and theirs were nicer, and it's some there's some cool toys. My family had a small one that we were competed a little bit with them. And they had this toy. It was Christmas time, and it was this guy on this ninja on a bike. And I was like, I want that. I, I really wanted to get this bike. And I figured the way I'm going to do it was to sell stuff because that's the only thing I saw, Andy. Everyone around me was a businessman, my aunts, my mom, my dad. People, if you want to make money, you sell something. Um, mm-hmm. And I figured I was going to sell mango. And I remember that Saturday morning, I got some mangoes in a tree. And I, it wasn't difficult because I got some mangoes from my cousin uh, like, like the weekend before. I climbed a tree. So I was like, I can pick mangoes myself. And I had this little, my aunt had this flower um, display thing, uh, this metal thing. And she had the plants on it with their implant pots. So I took the pots off and it allowed for me to have a table and for me to sit. And I got these mangoes and put them there. And I was getting ready to sell Andy. And I was so excited for it. And guess how much people... How many people came and how many money I made that first day? <laughs> I'm guessing nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> and my mango selling career came to a abrupt stop. Um, and I moved on and I started to sell cookies. And I found out that I was trying to eat more of cookies than I was selling so cookies. <laughs> I'd have that problem too, yeah. <laughs> so when I started to see what the trends, it wasn't the products. It wasn't like the, you know, the, the time of the day. It wasn't any of that. I, the biggest thing that I saw was when I saw the people who actually did sell they had a process or a system to follow. And one of the things that I noticed was that people, when I would, when we walked to school and those people would ask us if we want to buy something, it's not that like, oh, I asked Donald yesterday, so I'm not going to ask him today. Or I'm not going to, you know, Donald rejected me, so I'm, I'm going to stop. There, I may not be ready. I may not want your mango right now, but it mm-hmm. doesn't mean to say I won't want your mango in a couple of days or a, right. a week later. Right. So if I were to, and I think so many sellers right now to get their emotions and their feelings hurt when someone is, you know, initial outreach may not respond or they're not interested right. right now, they may not understand what they're not interested in per se. I'm not saying you'd be annoying, but can I craft the way that I'm doing this or can I go and find somebody else who's ready for it? And I looked at all of these people who were selling. The next day, it's not like these people shot up, closed shop and left like I did. They just found, uh, they just kept going, still singing, kept dancing, kept offering their products, but they offered it to other people that may more, that may be more ready on down to buyer's journey mm-hmm. than I am. And I think that's one of the, the second biggest thing is that persistent. When my sales team reach out to folks, there's several reasons why people do say they'll do business with us. Cause I ask them when I get an appointment after, you know, they, they do like a, you know, you set an appointment for me. It's like one, they said your sales rep was persistent. Not in an annoying way, but they were persistent. Mm-hmm. Two, they were creative. And then the other part is that yeah, I found that this was – they educated me. This is something that I might have right. might be of interest with. So those are the top three things. And I see the same idea when you look back at those people selling B2C, selling mangoes or selling clothes or selling like toys or souvenir products. It's the same idea. And it's the principle that we could learn and adopt. Don't give up when – because Andy isn't ready. I still have Barbara and Megan and Joe and John exactly. that could be ready right now. And I just need to go and help them and keep refining my message and not quit because nobody came to my mango stand. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I posted on this years ago and I on LinkedIn posted again recently. It's like, you know, I, one of the things I learned from my first boss is I remember going out, spending days prospecting out in the field, making cold calls, coming back. And I just said, you know, no one's interested. <laughs> and his his response was, well, go find someone who is. <laughs> pretty simple advice, right? It is pretty simple. It's pretty profound. Too. <laughs> yeah. It's a big world. It's yeah. a big world. And, and yeah, I once uh, was running sales for a startup where I calculated we had 200 prospects in the world. Yeah. That's it. Entire world. 200. Maybe not even that. I mean, those are stretching somewhat. There's always somebody new. There's always yeah. somebody to go talk to. There's always somebody that could be interested. I mean, even in a limited population size. And it's just like, you know, we train sellers. You and I talked about someone who was on your show recently is, is, you know, someone says I'm not interested. Then, oh, double down, right? Push harder, push harder when they say they're not interested as opposed to saying, okay. When would be a good time for me to get back to you? You know, as instead of, yeah. and then let's go find somebody who is interested. Yeah. So there's always, there's always somebody else that's there. Always, yep. always, always, always. So, you know, those are some of the notions that we, I've seen. And one of the, the other parts that I noticed too, with these, uh, 
is that they all have processes they follow. Now, processes doesn't necessarily have to be like something like super, like, uh, you know, like complex or difficult. When I, and one of the experiences with this too, oh, and the other part to this, Andy, is like people are not, like, we talked about this too at the very beginning of this episode, like the inbound era. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel this ties to a lot of the audience that, you know, we, you know, that gravitate towards our content, like right now, like, you know, new sellers or BDRs and people who are entering the game. Like, Sometimes we feel we are going to wait for the buyer to make the first move. We're going to wait for the buyer to reach out. We're going to wait right. for the inbound lead to to come to us. But when I sold those mangoes, one of the issues that I had, Andy, is that I didn't put my little mango uh, stand in. Actually, we had a everyone has like these gates in their property in like Jamaica and some of these other countries. Protect yourself. <laughs> but I was still inside the gate right. with my table hoping that people could see me and come to me rather than me opening the gate and putting my table outside right. the gate on the road. And I didn't do that. So I was wondering why these people were walking past and not coming to me. And couldn't so go back to this name. What's that? They couldn't see you. They couldn't see me. They had right. no clue what I was doing. Just some kid sitting down. Like <laughs> They couldn't probably see me behind the fence. But the, the same notion that comes with B2B side, like you need to have – an op- you need to get to where the buyers are going to be. Like, you need to raise your not raise your voice and be annoying, but you need to be. You need to. Sh- you need to go out and prospect. Like, mm-hmm. that's one of the core thing as a seller. Like, people are just not going to come to you all the time and say, "Take my money, Andy." Andy, you could do that. You have the forty years of experience doing that. But people come to you and just give you their money. But for the rest of us, like, we need to open our mouth. Like, people are not going to know what you have to offer until they know what you have to offer. And right. that's one of the notions that I saw that sellers don't consistently do that I see that uh, those people who really, really thrive and succeeded with their street carts or the successful B2B sellers, they have those same um, notions um, as well. No one's going to buy from you if they don't know you exist. A to the man. A to the All man. All right. So. Well, Donald, thank you so yeah, much. Uh, such a pleasure. And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Best way to connect with me is go to the salesevangelist.com. And there we have – Tons of resources. Uh, we just launched. By the time the site go, this episode goes live, our new site is launched. And uh, with 15 going 1,600 episodes, you can imagine we have so much. So we have a resource tab that you can see some of our uh, latest uh, stuff, um, episodes. Mm-hmm. You can try some of our sales strategies. You can also go to salesevangelist.com slash mango to also check out the book and uh, check out chapter one. You can read that first chapter and see some of the misconceptions we have there. And, um, yeah, and I have, I love to connect with you. Um, so just go to our website and you can find everything there. All right. Perfect. Donald, thank you. Thanks so much, Andy. Appreciate you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Donald Kelly, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement, with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or every listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.